Well, now let us turn in the scriptures once again, and this time we're going to the Old Testament, to the book of Judges, chapter 7. Be reading here uh, the first 15 verses of this chapter. So that's the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 7, and then beginning our reading at verse number 1. says, Then Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. Twenty-two thousand of the people returned, and ten thousand remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you will set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley, and it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. When Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companions and said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, Well, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. And his hand, God, has delivered Midian in the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation 
that he worshipped, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Once again, we are very thankful the Lord has given us his word. May the Lord bless his word and the reading of it to us even this morning. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning I'd like us to focus on this Judge Gideon, an aspect of his experience and of his life here, as we've read in Judges chapter 1 and verses 1 to 15. Now, I am sure that we have all heard the phrase, the more the better. If you have more of something, then uh, that should be much better for you. I mean, we like to have more of a good thing and not less of a good thing. Is that not right? If only I had more money, think of all the things that I could do. Or if I had more time. You know, why is it that uh, we only have 24 hours in the day? You know, I have so much on my plate, so many responsibilities, so many things to do. And, and I'm sure you probably have uh, uh, students here. You know, you always have an assignment, a paper, or something that you have to take care of. If I only had more time to get it done... Never enough time to get things done. The more, the better. The more, the better. But is that always the case? Is it always the case to have more of something? When we look at our text here this morning, that is not necessarily true because God can can do great things with less, can't he? Did he not uh, work in the situation here with Gideon where he wasn't adding to his number but he was actually doing what? Taking it away. Reducing them to 300. 300. Well, what is, you know, from man's perspective, what is 300 against so many? I mean, the Midianites, the Amalekites, the people of the East, I mean, they're described as locusts filling the land, camels in number more than the sand of the sea. I mean, last time you went to the beach, could you count the... Sand that was there? I mean, it's too numerable, isn't it? It's too much. It seems like uh, they're facing an unwinnable situation. How is it that they could prevail? And yet here the Lord is actually taking away and not adding to our number. Making things essentially more difficult for us as to making it easier. But here's the biblical principle behind what is happening here I mean, our natural tendency is to take God's glory for ourselves, aren't we? I mean, why was it that God actually was taking away from the soldiers? It's that uh, Israel would take glory to itself and say that my own hand has saved me. And at the end of the day, who is it that ultimately saves? It's God. It's the Lord. We must look to Him to save And so that is what God is teaching Gideon. And by extension of that, that is exactly what God is teaching us this morning. And God will not entrust us his work unless we realize how weak and inadequate we actually are and how we are fully and completely dependent upon him. We need the Lord ultimately to be at work in our hearts and our lives so that no matter what we do, He gets the glory, he gets the praise, and not we ourselves. Whether we're witnessing, serving, uh, being active in the church, 
Everything that we do, we do for the glory of King Jesus whom we serve, do we not? Because he is majestic, he is glorious, and he is to be exalted in all the dealings of his people. And God chooses to work through such weak and uh, even unlikable people. Those who have no abilities. I mean, when God first calls Gideon, we find him hiding and afraid. And he says, well, who am I to be able to deliver Israel? I mean, how many times have you looked at yourself and said, well, who am I to serve the Lord? There's nothing notable about me, nothing special about me. And uh, work that uh, the Lord would have me to do seems too great and too much. And I can't fulfill such a thing. But remember, God is working in us and through us to fulfill His will and purpose in this world. He's the sovereign God, but He also uses means, which tells us that He wants to use you and us, you and me, for His work, for His service. But it's the Lord who delivers. It's the Lord who delivers. And first here, as we look at the text and we come to understand what He's saying here, First, we need to be a people who boast in the Lord. That's what we need to be, a people who boast in the Lord. Verse 1 says, Then Jeroboam, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was in the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. So Gideon's name has been changed to Jeroboam. That's from uh, chapter 6, referring to the fact that uh, the Lord directed him to destroy the altar to Baal, the Asherah, and to make an offering and sacrifice to God. The men of his village were very unhappy about this, and so uh, they gave him this name, Jerob Baal, uh, one who strives with Baal, one who uh, fights against Baal. In fact, we could say uh, Gideon is a Baal fighter, fighting against the idols of that time, and uh, that's something that we can learn from as well, isn't it? I mean, at no time are we to harbor uh, idols within our hearts because that takes uh, our devotion and our love away from the Lord and we start to place that love and devotion on things of creation or things of, our, of ourselves. But we're to fight against that. So Gideon, Jeroboam, the Baal fighter to fight against the idols of uh, his time, we're to fight against the idols of our time. They've gathered near the spring of Herod. This refers to a place of trembling, of trepidation. I mean, you think of uh, the army that they're facing. It's a great army, and in and of themselves, how could they ever stand against such a host that has come? In fact, uh, that same host, the Midianites, the Amalekites, says the men of the East, actually held them in bondage for seven years. If you read chapter 6, and so this is not just a force that has come out of nowhere and that they have never seen this before, never experienced before. Uh, the Midianites have, uh, had subjugated them. They were slaves to these Midianites. And so how is it that they could actually stand against uh, such a force that has enslaved them for seven years? But here they are, willing to go to war and to fight against them. And of course, who is the one who's directing them in all this? the Lord, the Lord at work, the Lord showing himself faithful and good, especially those who call upon his name and cry out for him. 
to have mercy, to forgive sin. And the Lord is the one who intervenes on behalf of his people. And here we see Gideon, a judge, a savior being raised up, used of God to deliver the people in a time of great need. And I ask you, is there anything too great for God? Anything too much for him to deal with? Are there any circumstances that uh, he is not able to overcome and deal with? I mean, we look at our lives and the things that we're facing, and we all face challenges. Remember, we live in a fallen world. Not only are we facing wickedness around us, but even the sin of our own hearts. Is God not able to help you? To intervene on your behalf? To be a savior for you? At the end of chapter 6, Gideon had just tested God twice with the fleece. He was uh, afraid. He wasn't sure if uh, the Lord was actually with him. Would the Lord prove himself to Gideon? Indeed, would uh, the Lord use Gideon to deliver the Midianites and uh, defeat, enable Gideon to defeat them? And, so, and I'm sure you're familiar with the fleece tests in terms of uh, the fleece being wet and the fleece not being wet and so on. And of course, we recognize in chapter 6 that the Lord proved himself. He actually did a supernatural thing when the fleece was dry and the ground was wet around the fleece. God had proved himself. But now we see the Lord testing Gideon. Before it was Gideon testing the Lord. Well, Lord, are you truly with me? Are you going to be faithful, reliable? Can I trust you? And here's God coming to Gideon saying, you can trust me. In fact, uh, I'm really going to prove myself to you, Gideon. As you have called this army that you have. Now, what's the number that he begins with? Have you, have you done the math here in this chapter? It's 32,000. So he has 32,000. In fact, uh, the Midianites, the army that he's going up against, I believe it's in chapter 8. Yeah, chapter 8, verse 10, something like 135,000 Midianites, Amalekites, and so on, that he's going up against. 32,000. And God is going to come to Gideon, and he's saying, now I'm going to test you. Do you really believe that I am a Savior? Do you really believe that I am God? Do you really believe that I am powerful, and that there's nothing too hard or difficult for me to do? Do you believe and that is a challenge that uh, I make before you. Do you truly believe in the Lord your God? Especially when you go through those times of difficulty and challenge. When life is hard and you just wonder, well, where are the answers going to come from? When I'm dealing with just problems and it seems like there's no answer. Well, wait a minute, I trust in the Lord and he makes the crooked path straight, doesn't he? And so he comes to test him. He comes to test him. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are what? Not enough. We need to call more men. And, and so, Gideon, you need to go about the land and start rallying more troops because you don't have enough and you're not going to win. Is that what God says? No. The people who are with you are too many, too many. You have too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel do what? 
claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand, by my might, by my ability, my own hand has saved me. The people who are with you are too many. I mean, certainly Gideon had a plan in his mind to go into battle with these 32,000 soldiers. God now has a different plan. And it's very challenging when God has a different plan, isn't he? I mean, we may certainly have plans for our lives. You know, if I'm going to be happy, then this, this, this has to happen. You know, we may have a list. You know, we may not write out that list, but there's certain things we'd like to have happen in our lives, don't we? Certain things that you think, well, if God just did this for me, then everything would be just perfect. God just dealt with this issue and removed it for, for me. That would be great. And then everything would just be going smooth and I'd be happy again. But I ask you this. Does God exist to make you happy? Is that why he exists? To accomplish your will? I mean, uh, what do we pray for in the Lord's Prayer? Thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's God's will that's going to be accomplished in our lives. And that's why it's, it's very important for us not to try to impose our way, our will on God, but rather take a step back and say, Lord, God, and direct me. Give me wisdom. Give me grace. So that the choices and decisions that I make are ultimately for the best. Because I... And I don't know if this is your experience, brothers and sisters, but this is my experience. When I try to impose my will, my way upon God, that's when there's just nothing but disaster. Has that been your experience? And I think, oh, if I just make this decision, my choice, and, and, and I know that everything's going to work out just great when I do this, and then I go and do it, and then I'm just filled with regret, and I just want, well, why did I do that? That was actually, in fact, the worst thing that I ever could have done. That was actually the worst decision and choice that I ever made. Why didn't I just take a step back and pray, Lord, reveal your will, reveal your way, and help me then to be directed by you, by your grace? The Lord's at work, the Lord's at work, and thankfully he is, and there are times when he overrules even when we make those bad decisions and choices. And so Gideon was planning to march into battle with his 32,000 soldiers. God changed the plan. God changed the plan. We have to be willing to accept the fact that there are times when he changes the plan for us. We think we're going this way and God sends us that way. And not to say, you know, throw up our hands and say, well, what are you doing, God? Why are you doing this? I, I, I'm not expecting this. I can't deal with this. I can't handle this. This adds stress to my life. This makes things more difficult for me. But again, remember, God is powerful. And he is able to do all things that are necessary and needed for you and for me. Remember Israel, when God had delivered them from Egyptian bondage, and he actually brought them to a barrier. What was that barrier that he brought them to when he delivered them out of Egypt? You remember? It's the Red Sea. They're standing at the Red Sea. And of course, they're wondering, well, what are we doing here? And of course, the Egyptian army is coming, and they think that they're going to be wiped out and destroyed. And they say, well, Moses, are there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us here and, and you kill us here at the Red Sea? And so they're wondering, well, how can we ever be saved from this? 
But uh, I know you're familiar with that story. What did God do for them? God made a way through the Red Sea, did he not? Where we thought, or man thought, I should say, when, when, when Israel thought, this is impossible. Yet God made the impossible possible, didn't he? When he brought them through safely, even on dry ground, he brought them through. And does he not also bring you through the things that you are facing even today? The people, are, people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, to give you victory. My plan is greater than your plan, Gideon. My plan is greater than your plan, Christian. And he will accomplish his will and his purpose in your life when you trust him, when you truly trust him. As uh, James told us, if the Lord wills, we will live and we'll do this or that. If the Lord wills. May God give us the grace to say that and to even think that. Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. And of course, he says, as a reason for the fact that the men are too many, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, my own hand has saved me. The Lord knows too well the pride within our hearts, does he not? That same sinful pride of thinking that, well, we can certainly save ourselves, we can approach unto God. My merit, my good works will make a difference in my relationship with God. I mean, the lesson the Lord will teach Gideon, Israel, is that, the only, that, it, that, is, that, that it's only the Lord who ultimately delivers. And it's not by our ability, our strength, or even military might, nor by the number of soldiers, but salvation is always of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord wants to make any self-reliance on our part to fall apart, really. Do you have a humble spirit? Remember what Peter told us in 1 Peter 5. He says, all of you be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility, for what does God do? He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due season. He's teaching Israel at this time a humility of not being prideful in the fact that, well, we're going to go, and we're going to go in our strength, and we're going to defeat these Midianites, and we're going to gain the victory, and then praise ourselves. God is the one who gains the praise and the glory, doesn't he? I mean, there's a story from history, American history, where there was a rider on horseback who came across a squad of soldiers who were trying to move a heavy piece of timber, and there was a corporal who was standing over them, and he was giving them orders. Like, he wasn't doing nothing to help them, but he was just saying, all right, fellas, heave and move the piece, and so on. He was giving commands to them, but the... Timber was too heavy. They were having a hard time with it. And there was a fellow who came along on horseback, and he was uh, watching the scene and what was happening there, and he spoke to the corporal. He said, well, why aren't you getting down off your horse and helping them? And the corporal said, well, I'm a corporal. I'm important. It's not my job to help the soldiers. It's my job to command them, and they're the ones to do the work. 
Well, the stranger dismounted off his horse. He carefully took a place there beside the soldiers. And he said, now all together, boys, heave. Let's get this done. And then the large piece of timber slid into its place. The stranger mounted his horse. He addressed the corporal once again. He said, the next time you have a piece of timber for your men to handle, corporal, I want you to send for your commander-in-chief. Because do you know who this man was? The horseman was George Washington. George Washington was to be the first president of the United States. But he was humble in the fact that he got down off his horse to help these men to work with them, not to lord it over them. And so there are times when we have to pray, Lord, help me to get down from my high horse. When I'm filled with pride, when I'm filled with myself, when I think that I have the means and the ability to accomplish uh, God's will and I serve God and we have to humble ourselves once again and say, Lord, who is sufficient for these things? Who can do these things? I need you. I need you. And the Lord says, the people with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites. How many times the Lord says, Actually, less is better. I mean, we can think the opposite. More is better. More is, if I just have more of some, more resources, more time, more this. And God says, no, you need less of all this stuff. You need more of what? What do we need more of? We need, the, we need more of the Lord. We need more of Him. More love for Thee, O Christ. More love for Thee. I need more of Christ in my heart, in my life. Because when I have more of Christ, then I know I will have the assurance, the confidence that all things indeed will continue to work together for my good and for your good. We need to boast in the Lord, congregation. Boast in the Lord, not to boast in ourselves. Second, it's the Lord's strength in our weakness. Verse 3, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful, afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So God, again, is testing the people. He has to teach them to trust him. That they're not to just trust in their own human methods or means. So again, they started with the 32,000. And God now has just reduced their army to what number? What has he reduced them to? 10,000, right? 10,000. Okay, we have 10,000 soldiers. Well, I mean, that's not a large number, but maybe we, you know, with some special planning and maneuvering and so on, maybe we can still attack this army and, and, and make a dent. I mean, is that God's plan here? No. No. I mean, I'm sure Gideon watched with growing alarm as his ranks dwindled to the 10,000. But nevertheless, what is God's word here to Gideon in verse 4? He says, the Lord says to Gideon, the people are... Still too many. You still have too many. 10,000 is still too many. Bring them down to the water and I'll test them for you there. And then he goes through this water test that they would drink and so on. And uh, he tests them by this means. And through this testing, uh, what number is he reduced to? 300. 300. 300. They certainly now need to trust in God. 
because uh, if they're resting in themselves, they will be eliminated, right? Because what's 300 against 135,000? They have to trust in God alone. They're not to trust in their own human means. I mean, we're all prone to trust in something in this world, are we not? It's either something based in ourselves, our resources, our means, or so on, or it's ultimately saying, no, I'm, not, I'm thankful for my resources. And I'm not saying that we're not to have resources. But at the end of the day, as Job, what he experienced, the Lord gives, the Lord what? Takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord can certainly give, but the Lord can also take away. But at the end of the day, we're still to bless the name of the Lord our God because it's God who will give us exactly what we need when we need it. And that's what they needed at this time. They needed to be reduced to 300 because Gideon was not trusting in God. He was trusting in his soldiers, in his resources, in his means. And he was thinking, well, I've got to muster the troops and by means of the troops, then we will be able to win. But is that what God is telling them here? No, you're not going to win by these men. In fact, you're going to lose. I am the one who will give you victory. That victory only comes through me. Don't trust in your own ways, your own techniques, your own methods. Trust in me. Trust in the Lord your God. Are you doing that today? Matthew Henry writes that this reduction in numbers may help us understand those divine providences which sometimes seems to weaken the church and its interests, or when those frowning providences come upon our families, our health, our prosperity, etc. But really the reality is, is God is showing that he's going to do great things through his church when they fully and completely rely upon him. Covenant will prosper. This church will prosper as you look to the Lord to help you prosper. As you look to the Lord to lead and direct you. As you look to the Lord to help you and give you grace in your ministry, in your work. But never think that, uh, well, the church is doing well and we can, we can do these things and we can you know, go forward in ministry and so on. But no, it's, Lord, we need you now more so than we have needed you in the past. And so think about this, that the Lord may at times deliberately weaken you, deliberately re remove resources from you, deliberately make things more difficult for you so that he can show his power and his ability through you. Would he not? I mean, you think of 2 Corinthians, and uh, I mean, we don't fully understand what that thorn in the flesh that Paul was dealing with, but he speaks about a thorn in the flesh. God gave it to him. God purposely made his life more difficult. But Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, he says, Concerning this thing, this thorn in the flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times that, he might depart, that, that it might depart from me. And what was God's response to him? Do you remember what God's response to him was? He said to me, my grace is what? Sufficient. Sufficient. Remember who God is, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, a God who fills the heavens and the earth, a God who spoke 
and in six days created all things. Ex nihilo from nothing. Remember that. And he says to the one who's struggling, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. We recognize our own weakness. Actually, God is showing himself strong through our times of weakness because we recognize how much we need him. I can't rest in myself because I'm weak within myself. So that causes, in fact, it drives me to Christ. It drives me to God to know his strength and power, to know his life within me. In fact, Paul says, I most gladly would rather boast in my infirmities. I want to boast in that weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want Christ's power. I want to rest in that because I know in times I fail, but he doesn't fail. The power of Christ would rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure, in fact, in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions, distresses, for Christ's sake, as I endeavor to live for Christ and serve Christ, I'm actually thankful for these infirmities. For when I am weak, then I'm ultimately what? Strong. Not strong in myself, but strong in Christ. Strong in the Lord. My faith is being increased. I'm coming to trust on Him, rely upon Him, because this world is going to, to, to let me down. I mean, this world makes promises. I mean, how disappointing it is when someone promises you something and they don't come through with those promises. And you think, well, how can I trust this? Trust this person. I mean, this world is so frustrating to me. But when I put my trust in the Lord, He doesn't let us down. He doesn't uh, give a promise and then not come through. I mean, everything in terms of His word are yea and amen. My grace sufficient for you. Do you recognize this or do you realize this? That you're to, rel to, to rely on the sufficiency of God's grace in your life as opposed to resting in your own self. And so the Lord may weaken you so that you rely upon Him and Him alone. We have the Lord's strength and our weakness. Remember that, congregation. The Lord may purposely weaken you so that he might show his strength in you and through you. And then the Lord, third, will save his people. Verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, By three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. By the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you. The key there is, I will save you. I will not leave you. You will not be wiped out, destroyed. I will save you. And so the Lord commanded him to let those men go and then rally the 300 men in order that they might go forward. And of course, we also recognize they don't have weapons. Right? Are you familiar with this story? I mean, what do they go forward in the battle with? Do we know? Jugs? Right? Lanterns and what? In fact, he mentioned it here. Trumpets. Jugs, lanterns, and trumpets. Now, are those the items that you would take into battle? 
how far do you think you would get with jugs lanterns and trumpets yeah they'll be pretty intimidated when I show up to battle with those items yeah they'll uh, they'll be running they'll be turning around and and fleeing the battle when I when but at the end of the day remember who is it that's going to give them this victory I mean God had even told Gideon back there in uh, chapter 6 that he would save them as one man. As one man. He wouldn't even need the 300. Do you remember when uh, Hezekiah, he stood before the Lord? And the Assyrian army had come and had surrounded Jerusalem. And he had been praying, Lord, you have to deliver us here. Here are the letters of their threats. And what can we do? And we can't hold out against such an enemy. Do you remember what happened when the Assyrian army had come and uh, there is no way that Israel or those of Judah and Jerusalem could ever turn away such an army or a host. And all they could do was pray. And you remember what God did for them? Do you remember? Because uh, they had such a host. In fact, uh, in one night, God had, by his means had killed or wiped out, in fact, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And it was Sennacherib, I believe, who then, because the majority of his army was essentially wiped out, supernaturally in one night, he had to basically turn around with his tail between his legs here and, and, and head back to Assyria. God didn't even need one soldier to uh, defeat that army. Nevertheless, his desire is to use the 300 in such a supernatural way because that's how God works, doesn't he? He doesn't necessarily work just naturally, and he does work naturally. He does work in providence. We see divine providence in our lives and how he uh, works in us daily. But God also works supernaturally because there's nothing too hard for him, isn't there? And so he's directing the 300. He's directing the 300. And the Lord even wants to encourage Gideon further because he tells him to go down to the Midian camp and so that he actually might hear what the Midianites are saying about Israel and about, the, about Gideon and what they're doing. Do you remember what, what the, it says here? So it says, um, verse 10, But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, uh, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. He went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were at the camp. Many knights were there, and were told how great they are. Verse 13, Gideon had come. There was a man telling a dream to his companion. He says, I had this dream. In fact, to my surprise, he says, I'm surprised by this. A loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to the tent struck it so that it fell and overturned, the tent collapsed. And one of the other Midianites, his companion, actually gives him interpretation to the dream. He says, well, this has to be the sword of Gideon. Gideon's coming. The son of Joash, a man of Israel. And to his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. God is going to defeat us. Gideon's going to come and he's going to defeat us. He's, God has given our camp into Gideon's hand. And so you can see... God already at work in the hearts of the Midianites to cause them to be in terror. It's setting the stage for how they ultimately will be defeated. 
God working supernaturally in a way that we could not, or uh, in a way that Gideon could not work. And so, of course, Gideon heard the telling of the dream, its interpretation. And what is the first thing that he does? Does he rejoice or be thankful for, great, we have our 300, we're going to have our, 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 uh, our clay pots, we have our lamps, we have our trumpets, and we're going to win. Is that what he does? No. What is it that he immediately does the moment he hears the dream, the interpretation of the dream? He what? He worshipped. He worshipped. You can see him on his knees, as it were, with his hands. I'm just praising God. Thank you, God, because you are the one who showed yourself faithful and good and gracious. You're going to deliver us. You're going to save us. We had no hope. We had no idea how we were going to be delivered and saved. But Lord, you came through and you're going to save us. And so we cannot help but praise you and worship you and glorify you. Is that your first reaction when things are going hard in your life? The first thing is to worship God and to praise him. To be thankful for the weaknesses. Remember what Paul has said when he's, my grace sufficient for you. I, I, I take pleasure and I glory in my weakness because... God, strengthen me. I want to worship you, God, no matter what you do in my life. As Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I want to bless the name of the Lord my God. Bless the name of the Lord my God. Because the Lord is a God of salvation. He's a God of salvation. And his enemies indeed will be overthrown. Satan, already a defeated foe. The Lord had commanded deliverance for his people. That's what he has done. Has he not commanded deliverance for you through his son, Jesus Christ? Gideon, a judge and deliverer, points to Christ. Points to Christ, that ultimate deliverer of his people. The redeemer of his people. And we would have no salvation apart from Jesus. The Lord sends the one man. He told Gideon, I will save you as one, I'll save Israel through you, Gideon, as one man. Well, Jesus is that one man that ultimately delivers and saves us, is he not? The Lord was gracious to send the one man. As Paul said in Romans 5, 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man... Someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, towards you. And while, yet, while we were yet sinners, then Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood, we're saved from wrath through him. You have that one man. You have that Savior. Remember, he's already there in your life and in your heart, working in your situations. Are you feeling weak today? Are you feeling as if I've got problems and, Pastor, you don't know my problems. You don't know my difficulties. You don't know what's going on in my situation. You know, God certainly can do wonderful things for others. I don't really think that he can do what I need right now. It might be just too complex, too much. Do you then know God? Do you really know him if you think that way? God can't fix my situation. God can't. How can God really help me? Well, consider, I mean, we have an, 
I could say this, an army of witnesses who have shown how God has worked supernaturally in their lives and their situations and to turn situations around. We're at the end of the day. Who gets the glory? He does. Lord, you have come through. You have shown yourself reliable. I put my trust in you and I didn't waste my time when I prayed and I asked you to help me. You come through. I'm thankful. I, I, give, I, I worship. Gideon worshipped. I worship. Gideon praised. I praise. Because I know you're great and you're good. And you can do anything in heaven or in earth. Is more better than, brothers and sisters, as I began this message. Sometimes we think, well, if I just had more. No, I need more of God. Less of myself. Less of this world, ultimately, or less of my trust in this world. Remember, this material realm is only temporary, and it's all in God's hands anyhow, and you are in God's hands. You belong to Him. More is not necessarily better when it comes to this world and of this life, but it's more of Jesus, more of my God. Lord, help me to have my heart fixed on you. Help me to have my treasure in heaven. Nothing can take that treasure away. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all necessary things, all these things shall be added or granted to you. Are you seeking first God's kingdom? Are you seeking to be righteous in him? You have righteousness in Christ. Are you seeking then your God and his grace in your heart and in your life? so that you might be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And always remember, even as Paul, and as he was dealing with that thorn in the flesh, God said to him, My grace sufficient for you. Would he not also say the same thing to you today? My grace sufficient for you. I actually glory in my infirmity. I'm thankful for my weakness, because then I can see and recognize and know the strength of God in me. May we continue to experience that sufficient grace that we need daily so that we might live fruitful lives trusting in the Lord our God. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you for your word to us today. We're thankful, Father, that you showed yourself faithful to your servant Gideon. That you are the one directing him. You are the one who called him to be a judge, a deliverer. And Father, even uh, the army that was raised up. Lord, you were going to use 300. Even though there were 3,200, Father, you tested Gideon to show him that uh, you can do anything. You're a supernatural God. You work in supernatural ways. And uh, Father, that you wanted to teach him faith and reliance and trust so that he might glory in you, that the people of Israel would not glory in themselves or their own salvation, but rather that they would glorify you in the salvation that you would give. And Father, at the end of the day, we know we can't save ourselves, that we're dependent and we need you. But Father, you are the one who's commended righteousness. You are the one who gave us your son, Jesus, to redeem and to save us from ourselves and from our sin, the one who willingly went to that cross for us, that God displayed, commended his love for us, while yet sinners Christ died for us. 
much more than being justified by his blood, we're saved from wrath through him. And so save us, O God. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our sinfulness. Save us from our pride. Save us from uh, those times when we actually uh, look to idols in this world. Lord, help us to be like Gideon, to be a Baal fighter, to fight against the idols, to be faithful to the Lord our God, to seek you and to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be the the, the, the love being the fulfilling of the law. And so, Lord, grant us your grace, grant us your help in times of weakness so that we would see that our sufficiency ultimately is of Christ and of God. This we ask in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen. Uh, the deacon's prayer. Well, congregation, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Amen. Amen.